This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy Woo! and sadness oh. and anger. Ah. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. Ah. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. Ah. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I, uh, Seriously. Like, I was trying to talk over my stomach going... <laughs> in the whammy bar on the stomach, huh? <laughs> oh, my God. You didn't know I had those talents. Now you do. No, that's sick. <laughs> Literally, it's sick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Disgusting. (laughs) I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And And I'm I'm a writer, writer, but... Welcome to I'm a Writer But. With us today is Matthew Salisis, who is the best-selling author of The Hundred Year Flood, an Amazon best book of September and Kindle first pick, an adoptive family's best book of 2015, and a best book of the season at BuzzFeed, Refinery29, and Gawker, among others. And Disappear, Doppelganger, Disappear, a best book of the year at Thrillist.com. And his most recent book that just came out is Craft in the Real World, which explores alternative models of craft and the writing workshop, especially for marginalized writers. His previous books include I'm Not Saying, I'm Just Saying, Different Racisms on Stereotypes, The Individual and Asian American Masculinity, and The Last Repatriate. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks so much for having me. Welcome. And we are excited to hear you read. What do you you have for us today? Uh, I'm going to read just the very first section of, of the novel Disappear, Doppelganger, Disappear. Awesome. Um, so it's, it's in a section called Earthquake. One night, my girlfriend asked what was wrong with me, and I couldn't explain. We lay on my black sheets between my blank white walls on the bed that was the room's only furniture. We had bared ourselves. We had a connection when we were naked. But Sandra wanted more than full exposure. It was 3 a.m. after her late shift, waiting tables at the cave, and she smelled like fry oil and strangers, and still she talked. Who was I to prefer silence? I told her how I blacked out as I watched the news, ate my microwave dinner, wrote, how I woke to find my status update a string of Gs with no likes, nothing to account for the time between. It's not just loneliness, I said. I'm pretty sure I'm disappearing. People walk straight into me on the street. When I'm alone in a bathroom with 10 urinals, some white guy will come in and pee right next to me. She twitched her mouth from side to side. This was a habit I envied. 
She was always doing things equally on either side of her body. When her lips parted, the smack echoed off the empty walls. How long have you been feeling like this? She asked, like you're disappearing. I couldn't tell whether she was being sarcastic. Well, these were the facts. My cat was dead. My wife and daughter had left me. At some point in the last three years, I'd stopped going out or having friends. After the divorce, I kept the walls blink because the echo was a kind of company. Just to clarify, Sandra said, you felt like disappearing the whole time you've been with me? Just to clarify, I said, what I mean is you're all I have left. Maybe you're the only reason I'm still here. I felt quite smart about this line. Try again, she said. I'll just stop there. Thank you so much. I, Alex and I were just talking about uh, how is it possible that that book just came out in August of 2020? And now you have this craft book that, that came out. Can you explain to us <laughs> how as a father, of, you have two children, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how as a father of two and a professor, you are getting all this work done. Oh my gosh. Uh, badly? <laughs> <laughs> no, badly? no, that's not an acceptable answer because it's not badly. Um, well, you know, a lot of it was before everything went, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. you know, that shit. Um mm-hmm. The, I can swear, right? Oh yeah, of course, yes. <laughs> the um, the novel is actually a few years late. It was supposed to come out in twenty seventeen, maybe twenty eighteen, mm-hmm. and um, I found out my wife had cancer, and um, you know, it, it took me a while to turn it in, and um, and then it they had a kind of a long cycle on uh, getting it out there. And uh, in the meantime, you know, I had these, I've been writing about craft for a while and um, pedagogy. uh, And so I had all of this material and I'm always thinking like, okay, if I'm going to do anything, I should at least like try to do it around some kind of theme so that eventually I can use it for a book. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I just had a bunch of this stuff and um, thought, you know, Seemed like a good time. Um, I think like Roxanne Gay had tweeted or something that I should that it should be a book, and and a couple of editors had um, tweeted back at me, and I was like, you know, hint hint, nudge nudge. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so my agent and I put together a proposal and went out with it, and it, it sold pretty quickly. And then things went very. It seemed like a much quicker process than the novel was. I just mm-hmm. kind of wrote it over the summer. Um, and it was suddenly kind of coming out and um, just happened to coincide with the novel's timing, uh, you know, during this worst period of time to release a book ever. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you yes. wrote it over this past summer? Uh, or you no, kind no, of put no. the book together <laughs> over this past summer? It was, it was this, I guess it was the summer before. Summer before. This summer was like pandemic summer, right? Mm-hmm. It's all one long thing for me. It's hard for me to even remember what the order what of the or the order of these seasons anymore. <laughs> Literally tonight, I was like, okay, so last year was 2019. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, I got to catch up. <laughs> no, my daughter was saying she couldn't remember the order of the seasons like a couple of days ago, and I was like, well, yeah, yeah we're with oh. you. <laughs> Speaking of your daughter, you had that wonderful story that you um, told on Twitter. Can you retell it here about your daughter and and wanting to be a graphic novelist? 
Yeah, sure. So I was sitting there, um, you know, listening to her say this last part, and I was thinking, oh crap, this is this is a workshop story. I'm gonna have to tweet this now. <laughs> <laughs> so I bought her for Christmas a bunch of these like blank uh, graphic novel cells books, you know, like blank graphic novel books, which you could fill with a graphic novel. Mm -hmm. um, and also, um, along with that, a bunch of graphic novels, and um, which are her favorite form right now. And a couple of books on how to write a graphic novel is like the McLeod books, Lydia and the Berry books. Mm -hmm. um, oh, cool. And I asked her just to kind of read them before she started because I thought it would be helpful to her to have some kind of like base point to jump off of. Um, and also I was interested in the books. So I thought I, I could always, you know, get them after her and mm -hmm. maybe I would write a graphic novel. <gasps> you heard <laughs> um, it here first. <laughs> and so she read them very excitedly she got through those books in, in like a day or two right because she's a child and um she was very excited and she started doing all these character sketches and they were really amazing um you know she clearly picked up some stuff that was pretty interesting there and then she also just like has a really active imagination and she would show me these every day or two and and ask how they were and i would say it's great and um you know, after a while, she just kind of stopped doing it. And mm -hmm. one day she said, uh, I can't, I'm not good at graphic novels. I said, what, what do you mean? You haven't even done a graphic How do you know you're not good at graphic <laughs> novels? Um, and she said, well, you know, like, I can't, I'm not, I can't do it. I can't do it the way that I want to do it. Um, I said, well, you look, you've written like all of these other novels, what she calls novels. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you've written all these <laughs> other books. You know, you're always saying you're a better writer than I am because you've written a million books and I've only written four books. Uh, so I think it'll be fine. You know, you just kind of just get started and you know, have some fun. Um, and so she seemed like she was buoyed by that. Uh, but then a few days after that, she said uh, that she couldn't do it at all and that she... Um, wasn't going to be able to do a graphic novel and I was, I was kind of baffled uh and and maybe like four or five hours after that I, a certain you know a long period of time for a child but of like a short period of time really had passed and she came back and she was like well what if I just don't listen to the books oh like, what? yeah you know okay uh and she's like, well, if I just do it like the way that I want to do it. And I was like, oh, of course. Like, that's of course how you should do it. Right? Oh, <laughs> oh. I was like, oh, no, this is what's going on in her head, right? Like, she's like thinking this is the way I'm supposed to do it. And now that I can't do, you know, like, I feel like I can't do it that way. And so I can't do it at all, right? Oh. Um, and so as soon as I said this, you know, like her, she lights up and she's like, off to work right now she's already written a couple of pages of this graphic novel. oh my gosh um, yeah it's just it's you just freed her you freed her <laughs> did she tell you pure craft I mean, is the lie after that <laughs> she did yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. have awesome. you heard of the story about um i heard linda berry talk about when she wrote cruddy that um she had sold the novel i think before she had written it and she didn't know how to start and um <laughs> So she kept asking herself, well, how would I write a novel if I was writing the novel? And she finally realized that she was the person writing the novel. And she oh God, decided rich. that she would paint it first, that that's how she would write a novel is she would paint it. And then oh. she would write it from that. So it's it's like your daughter was reading Linda Berry, right? And it seems like it's kind of 
you know, Linda Berry freed herself just as you freed your daughter. And it dovetails so perfectly with what the book's getting at, right? With what craft in the real world is is getting at. Yeah, it's crazy. We have been imprisoned by these tropes that were never intended to be, you know, all that, um, all that freeing in the first place, right? Right. And especially as, as someone, you know, from a, uh, from a marginalized, you know, group of people in, in this, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I thought that was so charming. And I, and I feel like that's a realization that um, for me personally uh, took a really long time to come to, which was like, oh, I'm the one who's doing this. Mm. <laughs> like, I'm not Alice Monroe. I'm not A.M. Holmes. Like I, I'm, oh, I'm the one. It's hard when you, you've also got to realize that you are an I. <laughs> like, I feel like yeah. that's the hard part. Oh right. my gosh, that's so I'm true. the one, but who am, who am I? <laughs> yes, and that is actually a quote that I sent Alex from your preface. Um, I'm just pulling it up here. Like in revision, the fiction writer must break down what she thinks she knows about her craft in order to liberate it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like a, it's sort of getting to like the I, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I was teaching this uh, course about desire um, in the fall, and uh, we started off talking about Lacan because I don't actually spend a lot of time in class on Lacan, but um, I do want to kind of just talk about him a little bit because I think he's funny and his ideas are interesting. Um, And so I was telling them, you know, he has this thing about like you, 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 you like form yourself from the, and I give him this like graphic thing from like a, it's like a graphic introduction to Lacan. Um, and it's like this woman lying on the bank of a, of a like pond or something. And in the pond are like all the words other people used to describe her. Um, and it is kind of like that, right? You like, first you define yourself by like the limits of what other people are telling you you are. And it's hard to kind of figure out like, well, what do I actually want to be and and how do I you know take ownership of these things that are been limiting me mostly um my you know life mm-hmm. yeah and and I think like a lot of writers do I even like have the right to to take that kind of ownership you know like am I worthy am I good enough I, I mean maybe I'm like dragging myself here <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like it, um, when you're, you know, when you're it's sort of similar to what happened with your daughter is like, you were being told to read these, these things for certain reasons, but then we, we might start telling ourselves like, well, but that's not what I do. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Actually. I remember now when I said you've written all these novels, um, you know, she said, yeah, but I really love graphic novels. And so that's why I can't, that's why I can't do it. Oh, because she was more invested in it. Oh right? my gosh. She could do the novels because it mattered know, too much. Fun. Right. Yeah. That's beautiful. I wonder if that's just related to audience too. I mean, are you, are you her first reader? Are you the one, you know, it's know, like, yeah. it's like the parts I haven't read the entire book yet, but the parts that have been really striking to me and like kind of breaking my brain are the ones related to audience and how, how limited in some ways or open your audience can be and how, how freeing that can be. I loved even just where you were saying, you know, you call yourself an Asian American writer writing for an Asian American audience, I believe, but that's not necessarily, you know, 
everyone you're teaching or everyone who's necessarily going to be reading the book, but I don't know. I'd, I'd really like to, to hear just how you kind of arrived at even that understanding of, you know, being freed up uh, in relation to understanding your audience or who you wanted your audience to be or something. Yeah, sure. Um, it's actually, I was thinking of this same story when you were talking about the, uh, the very thing. Um, so I sold Disappear, Doppelganger Disappear um, on spec uh, after the 100 year flood came out. And, uh, you know, in that month of time when it was doing really well before, you know, everything just suddenly comes to a complete stop. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it seemed like a good time to do things. Uh, and so I, I sold the novel on like an outline and 50 pages. Wow. And I thought this would be like the greatest thing in the world, right? Like then it's not hanging over your head. You don't have to worry about selling the actual novel. You know, I they can't take it back, I think, maybe. <laughs> um, Let's never find out. Can't take it back now. <laughs> but actually, it was like, it was so pressuring in a different way. You know, I didn't have the pressure of like selling the book, but instead I had the pressure of like realizing that I had written the last book to sell the book, right? Like mm. I, I suddenly realized my audience wow. for the last book had been an editor at some random house, uh, not random, but you know, whatever. <laughs> some <laughs> random, random house. <laughs> and make it a real book, right? And um, now that that was off the table, like what was it, why was I even doing this? Like, who was it, who would it be for? Who, were, who was I writing for? Um, and it, it took me like a couple of years of just sitting at my desk and writing, you know, thousands of terrible pages Whoa. before I could even figure out like why I was doing it and what I wanted the book to be. Mm. Um, and, and that kind of process of going through all of that questioning is, is, is a large part of the craft book. Mm. Um, I was doing that and then also kind of talking with my students as you do, right, as a kind of uh, integrating those worlds together. And they were having the same kind of questions, right, um, about like, there was a lot in the news about um, appropriation and we talked a lot about who, who's writing, who, who had like permission to write certain things, what gives you permission to write certain things, who you're writing for then, like when you are kind of, right, so it was all kind of in the air and, um, and I was kind of dealing with it from all these different sides at once. I don't was know, it a, actually I've forgotten the question now, but- No, I, no, I mean, that, that was, <laughs> was it a process of understanding who you were not writing for that led you to understand who you, who you wanted, who your intended audience or your audience would be? I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I want, you, I want to hear your words about it, but how, how did you, was it just a, a, prom, a process of saying like, okay, well, this one's not for an editor at some- random publishing house <laughs> it was kind of um well it was that realization and then you know i was also at, at the time um for a little while i had like a, a kind of love hate relationship with uh writing reaction pieces um to whatever bad news came out mm. uh, and i did that for like a year maybe a year and a half and um you know, now the stuff in my bio is all from like, you know, because those are very publishable. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it ended up just being like really defeating. I thought, you know, I was in it to like change people's minds, I thought. Um, but the more the articles got shared on Facebook or whatever, um, 
the less I felt like they were going toward changing anybody's mind, the more I felt like they were just kind of like giving catharsis to people mm. who already agreed with me. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I still worry about that catharsis. I, I worry like that. I just wrote this essay about this, but um, like getting that release actually gets in the way of using that energy toward activism. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just felt like I had to get out of that. And I also felt like, oh, I'm writing all of these articles, like basically for my white adoptive parents and to try to like convince them that I am like a good reason for them to like get on board the uh, the uh, leftist whatever revolution train. Right. Um, you know, that wasn't working either. I mean, once I had written this whole essay about um, difference as a good thing and how um, when I was growing up, my, my parents wouldn't think of me as Asian because they thought of me as like their son. And that, and for some reason, those things weren't, uh, you know, they couldn't happen at the same time. So mm. I wrote this whole article about it and my, my dad read the entire thing and then sent me on a, a message on Facebook that said, I don't know, I, I read it. Good job. I, I still think of you as it was just my son and not oh, I was like, oh, oh my, my gosh. God. And I just <laughs> felt like, oh, I guess this is not really, it's not going to work. I'm going to like, he's not your audience. This. <laughs> well, he was, you know, and I was, I just I realized I was writing to an audience of my parents, basically, and I had to, I had to change it. <laughs> That's so interesting. It's, felt, yeah, it's truly amazing. I feel like we should have a, like a, like an anthology of moments when you tried to connect and it just oh like <laughs> like they had a force field up around them <laughs> i'm just thinking about moments with my own family you know like yeah. we should <laughs> we should parse that because uh it's it's intense it is very intense do you remember was there like a moment or, or like a time when you had a realization that the audience, that you had figured out who the audience you were writing to was for your I novel? Closest to it in a couple of, of points. There was a point in AWP where I was asked to read the manuscript in progress for the Doppelganger novel. Um, and it was like, I was reading, Sharif Shanahan was reading somebody else but it was just like a full crowd of almost all people of color um which like i don't know i i started going to awp in like 2006 and it was it was all white people i mean it was just so white mm -hmm. um, right mm -hmm. i never actually seen a crowd that you know that diverse before at awp um and so it really kind of blew my mind and uh, reading to that crowd, I felt like, oh, I'm, I'm actually, this is like who I'm talking to. Um, and then the other time when I felt it was, uh, I taught at Kundimon for a summer, um, Kundimon Retreat for Asian American Writers. Mm -hmm. And it was a really transformative experience, or maybe not transformative, but a very emotional uh, time. I, you know, I kind of just found out my wife had cancer and um they were like you can push it off and i was like no let's just like do it and um when i got there it was it was just this huge like love fest but also like a lot of kind of dealing with trauma mm. um 
and everybody was crying. There were like, there were tears everywhere. Mm. You know, I was crying. Um, and I, I just felt like, oh, it was like this kind of moment that just can't exist right, in a space where you feel like even 1% unsafe. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. This is sort of like what I, I want my bubble to occupy. Are you seeing like, I feel like it's it's been a, a an ever broadening discussion like in social media I, I, or like an ever broadening awareness. Do you see that happening in your workshops? Do you see, you know, like, um, like white students making space, you know, like, is there any sort of change that you're, I guess I'm, 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 I'm asking if there's any good news <laughs> that you're seeing <laughs> as a professor. I, I think there's lots of good news. Okay. There's lots of good news in people. I think the students, I mean, maybe it's just because I haven't been an undergrad for so long, but there's so much more with it and like alive and engaged than I ever was when I was 18. It's just like a, it's night and day. Wow. Um, and so that gives me a lot of hope. I mean, not everybody of course is, um, you know, as kind of up to date with uh, where politics are going, uh, where kind of um, hopefully at least like the society of the mind is going and but people are pretty open to it and they're like fluent in things that for me still seem difficult um just being old old now i guess <laughs> like i'm not that old but it seems really old compared to the undergraduates mm -hmm. um you know with all the terminology that they are using too that like they're very fluent in just being able to kind of talk about all of these issues um, without feeling any of the shame. I think that even amongst, you know, people like-minded uh, of, of my age, probably our age, um, that's there, right? Like there's like that kind of awkwardness. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I do think there's a lot of hope there. Uh, Workshop-wise, I don't know. I'm not sure about the workshop per se. Mm. I actually think... The difference for me is like when, when I was going to my first workshop, it was in college and saying it was in college and I just had no idea what to expect. And so everything seemed new, um, but my students seemed to have like a really, like some kind of solid idea of what a workshop is already mm. uh, in popular culture, but mm -hmm. also sometimes in experience. Um, so there's a little more of a expectation of like what it's supposed to be like that we have to work around, that I have to work around in order Do to- Do they use the word it. earn a lot? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you've they, earned this. Yeah, oh they God. do use that sometimes. I mean, I've banned it now. <laughs> <laughs> what else have you banned? <laughs> there's a little, there's a part of my syllabus is in there and there are things that I've banned. Relatable. I've banned relatable. Oh, uh, likable. Likable. Um, I've banned kind of I'm trying to ban like I want statements. There, yeah. You can't even imagine how often all those statements start with I want. Mm -hmm. yeah. Every time I think, oh, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> who cares what you want? <laughs> I wish There's I would have also, been in a workshop with you. I know. Yeah. Where, where, oh my goodness. 
Where can we sign up? I, I, I think there's also a tendency for people to come into it automatically wanting to be critical, right? Like in talking about what's lacking or what's wanting yes, in, in a piece, yeah. which is so subjective um, rather than talking about like what, what they see in a piece or what they like about a piece, um, which I think can be a lot more informative and useful to the writer. You know, there's so many things in craft in the real world that I just wish even I had gotten a packet of some of the highlights of this before I went to grad school. I mean, I things know. like things like expectations belong to an audience is, is, is really kind of like an amazing, powerful statement that even it's, I don't know. It's, it's amazing how many of these things I've just underlined thinking like, Oh my God, right. That's right. I am. <laughs> it's a specific, it's a specific audience I'm writing for whether or not I realize it or not. Um, in so many ways. I mean, you know, I've thought about it, a little bit more since graduating, but my goodness, going, going into school, I wish my mind had been a little bit more on that track. I know, but we were so young. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think about how yeah. young and dumb I was. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I was, you know, an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's painful to think back. Well, it I seems was like blissfully an idiot though. You know, I didn't. Well, even yeah. <laughs> right you're just like stomping around like i'm gonna write you know like and and you know eventually i'm gonna be famous yes it's so easy to be famous as a writer you know oh my god that'll be me um it seems like you had a lot of fun writing this craft book am i wrong well i don't know i guess um what makes you think that i don't know there's like such a maybe it's the confidence that's what, what i was I've thinking read. Lindsay. the confidence it, it feels like such a a complete work in some way it feels like i you know i think even somewhere you mentioned that you intended to be a conversation starter or, you know kind of a starting place but it really does feel like such a fully thought out approach i don't know approach isn't even the right word but yeah the confidence definitely comes through that's all I know for now. I, I've actually been feeling bad in these interviews because I get asked these questions and I don't have any better answers than are in the book. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, that that's fair. Sense. That's such and a then fair I start answer. answering, and then I look in the book later and I'm like, oh, this I just said exactly the same thing that they're asking me <laughs> about in the first place. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's perfect. That's yeah, exactly that's what people want. Absolutely. <laughs> what is well, your there were points in the book in the writing where I was giggling to myself, I guess. Yeah. Where do you, have, do, you do you remember where? I'm not sure. There, there are things that I have like pet peeves against uh, in the writing world, like the kind of the person who comes in, they're paid like five thousand dollars to talk to a, uh, oh you know, a graduate school, and um, they just go up there and they're like, well, you know, you know, you just know it, you know it. You, <laughs> the you mystics wake up in the morning. Yes. Oh my gosh. It yes. Me. Like you've been paid so much money to do this, right? Like, just let it come to you. <laughs> the muse Trust will flow down. Or like, I heard a voice in the woods and oh. I just recorded it and that's the book. I spent a long, way too long of a time like wondering why that wasn't happening to me. You know, like <laughs> before it's like, oh no, I just have to work. I just have to actually do work. Oh, okay. I get it now. Why am I not hearing the voices? <laughs> Please, I'll do anything. I'll do mushrooms. <laughs> I, I want to know. Oh, sorry, Alex. I was just going to say related to that. I have a vivid memory of my first workshop with Stuart Dybeck, who I love. But I remember thinking walk like he would walk in and he would be like you're saying, like a mystic or like it was like, you know, I'd read all these stories and I was like, oh, my God, like 
what is this going to be like? And he came in the room and he was just wearing white new balances, <laughs> just like every other person I'd you know, seen. Else. Yeah. Just that <laughs> completely nude. And I remember thinking like, he's just wearing like normal ass shoes. Oh, he's like a human. And like, it really like broke my brain. I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. Maybe I can write a story too. I'll, you know, I'll just have to get some new balances, but normal ass <laughs> shoes yeah. poor Stuart. <laughs> that's the monkey charm yeah when i was in my phd program um one of the professors was saying uh you know he'd send out his first manuscript he was a poet to all of these different places and times new roman <laughs> been rejected everywhere and he was like you know what i'm just gonna change it to garamond and then he changed it to garamond and he won like three different contests at once <laughs> and he was Stop like it. that's the key guys change it to Garamond. <laughs> it's like, I'm filing this away and I'm never, I'm never going back to Times Roman. That's it. That's oh all you need. I, I submitted my most recent novel in Ariel and, oh my God. and I was Quite like, Oh move. no, that's terrible. What was I thinking? <laughs> I'll never single do that again. Did. No, I double spaced it. Oh, okay. I write in single space, Matthew. We, we talk about this from time to time, but no, I double spaced it for, for, you know, ease, but it was Ariel. God, that's so mortifying. <laughs> I'll never live that down. What is your, um, Matthew, what is your, like your writing day? Like what is, how do you get work done? Uh, well, it's a good question. Thank you. I haven't gotten that much work done during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been doing a little more uh, since the semester was over. Um, just kind of waking up uh, at very late points in the morning. <laughs> And then eating lunch (laughs) Um, and then just trying to sit down and and work, uh, you know, until I have to start cooking dinner for the kids. Mm -hmm. Um, So I got a good like three, four hours in there, probably Um, working on a revising a novel right now. And so I need need those big chunks of time and I just can't get them during the school year. Is it a novel that you've already sold or? No, it's okay. uh, it's about a, a kind of Jeremy Lin type basketball oh. player. Yes, and, and uh, K drama, Korean oh, drama, cool. um, and and cancer. Yeah, mm. wow, that sounds wonderful and harrowing, and I'm glad that you're getting to work on it. <laughs> what I really want is to like have the book optioned as a K drama. <gasps> hell yeah oh yes there are a couple of just k-dramas in there that i have had ideas for that i think are, would be good tv shows um and they take up a part of the book just as like summaries of what the show would be like that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> i can't wait to read it oh, thanks it's long been my dream to be because, you know, V.C. Andrews, I read like all V.C. Andrews books when I was in middle school, mm-hmm. um, but she died after she wrote the first book. So then it was just like a series of other writers that they would hire to pretend to be V.C. Andrews. Mm-hmm. And I want to be the new V.C. Andrews. <laughs> cool. I think I would be. To somebody. Yes. If anyone's listening, <laughs> put me in coach. Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Matthew. Thank you. Thank you. Thank if people you. want to find you, where should they go? I'm on the Twitters. Oh. Uh, at Salesis. Beautiful. Talking about kids usually. Perfect. Your daughter is so wonderful. 
<laughs> this is my life now. You know, I, I haven't left the house since March. Oh, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm on the same tank of gas that I was on in March. Are you is kidding? That true? Is that for real? Yeah, yeah I am. Oh no, God. you're not. I am. I am. That's a good first sentence right there. Have you tweeted that? Because I feel like that's going to go viral immediately. That is. <laughs> no, I have tweeted that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't have thoughts that I don't tweet anymore. <laughs> well, if you're on the same tank of gas, I think that's fair, bud. Wow. Okay. Well, I Man. applaud you for that. Thank you. Please tag us when you have to refill so that we know. <laughs> I'm I'm getting low. I mean... <laughs> thank you, thank I think you. Often about like the zombie apocalypse and like how long you'll... a tank of gas could actually go in the zombie apocalypse. You'll be the last yeah. one standing. <laughs> Can you write a craft book on how not to <laughs> use too much gas? One tank of gas. <laughs> well, don't have friends. Uh, okay. You know. Okay. <laughs> okay. These are good tips. I'm going to write them down. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. We'll see you thank on the you. Twitter. Thank, thank you. you. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh he's a lot of fun um yes. the book is craft in the real world and um alex and i got to have a little sneak preview of it and um it's been blowing our minds and yes yeah. there's nothing more fulfilling than reading someone who's at the top of their game talk about their game right mm -hmm. like no it's great i i'm excited to finish the the whole thing i wish i would have had time to read the whole thing before matthew came on mm -hmm. um but yeah, it's true. I, I was going through just like, I mean, we were texting little bits back and forth and yeah, check it out. Yeah. I think um, it's, it's high time that the workshop space is sort of revolutionized and he makes mm -hmm. clear that, you know, this is the, for him, it's the start of the conversation. It's not the end of the conversation. Right. And um, you know, like I think people, writers tend to fear the workshop or they tend to feel uh, like they're going into the shooting gallery or something, you know, mm -hmm. like, and then, and it shouldn't feel that way. It doesn't have to be painful. It should be useful. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's funny. I think that when it is painful or when you do, when, you know, people have kind of gnarly workshop stories, a lot of times, you know, you're hearing someone who has been motivated just by like rage after the fact, basically, or like grudges. So yes. it's, it's, it's nice to have a, a very different approach in Matthew's book. Yeah. And I think anytime, you know, I've, I've been in workshops where I've been told rules mm -hmm. and I just couldn't understand why they were rules or where they had even come from. Mm. And I think it's important to hear, you know, a writer say, well, you don't have to pay attention to those rules, you know, like those rules aren't really rules, you know? Right. Um, and I really love, and he touches on in the book, um, how like plot looks different in different cultures and right. that is valid. And that is actually pretty exciting. Right. Like, um, yeah, anyway. I mean, there's, there's exciting the stuff on almost book. every page for sure. Yeah. Uh, how was your week? Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been pretty good, I guess. Good. Decent. I don't know. I, I was thinking, uh, <laughs> I was thinking, like, I don't know how to answer any of these questions. It just it's started like, going downhill. It was like, it's been pretty good. It's been good. good. Yeah. Decent. Yeah, decent. Right. Dece, yeah. pretty dece. I was, I was thinking today as I was walking the dog, I was like, 
I think this has been an okay week for a horrible year, longer than a year. What am I talking about? It's just the same. It's like, mm-hmm. it just feels like the same. It is. I'm, yeah, I, uh, it's like you want to rage against something, but there's nothing to rage against. I mean, you can, but there's like nothing that anyone can do right. other than just like wait. Yeah. And I saw like, Dr. Fauci said, oh, well, you know, live music might be possible in the fall. But last spring, he said school would be possible in the fall. So it's like, <laughs> I don't trust any of that. Uh, no, I don't trust the notion that we'll be able to stand amongst each other and see live music in the fall is starting to feel further and further away. But maybe we'll start to feel better when like real people are doing real jobs. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. I've internalized so much of like, okay not doing anything i can't imagine going to a concert in the fall i, I mean know, right there's no way <laughs> leave my house what yeah i don't know although i'm i am leaving my house more than matthew shishirama yeah that was that was that was impressive that was impressive the dedication to i thought he was kidding i thought to Me be too. yeah i really i thought he was kidding um i think i i can't even guess how many times i've filled up but i mean going to work and stuff he's obviously been working remotely so mm-hmm. Yeah, my goodness. What about um you're still on your writing break? Yeah, I'm just I'm just still reading, which has been really fun. Um doing audiobooks on the way to work and then trying to read before bed. Um, and you're reading Tom McAllister's book right now. Yep, I'm doing that one right now. How and, to be safe? Uh, how to be safe. It's uh it's Shout pretty out Tom McAllister. It's pretty heavy. I uh I mean, everyone has like a a connection to the school shootings just because you know mm-hmm. of the world we live in the country we live in and but it's funny because it's really making me think about my uncle my uncle uh was one of the first photographers at columbine when it happened oh my gosh uh because i grew up in colorado and he lived uh in in littleton and was able to get he was just then he was an ap stringer my uncle kevin and Whoa. um He's, 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 he passed away a couple of years, a long time ago, but anyway, he, so he was one of the first photographers on the scene and he actually had the cover of Newsweek that Columbine, the week that it happened. If you, if you look it up, it's, if you type in Columbine Newsweek, it's the, the pictures of a, of three students exiting the, exiting Columbine and there, it just, the headline is why across the front, oh. but it is it funny. It, I can, it's, I always have a strange feeling with Columbine because, you know, growing up in Colorado, it like felt so close, but then it was like this kind of amazing moment for my uncle Kevin because he got the cover of Newsweek, which is like really insane for just an AP stringer photographer, you know? Um, yeah. So it was kind of a weird thing in our family. I, you know, like we have like so many copies of that Newsweek, but um, yeah, it's really, it's a, it's a heavy book, but uh, I'm, I'm really, I'm really loving it. I can't wait to read it. Yeah. I'm all in. Although, I don't know. <laughs> you said you're reading some really you're reading some really heavy stuff right now. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I um I've been darting around with heavy stuff. I just uh, a couple weeks ago I finished reading Dancing with the Octopus, which is a memoir memoir of um of a crime. The the author was abducted when she was 14, but also kind of grew up in an abusive home and it's like very like uh, like very clear, crystal, um, moving, poignant, great book about these terrible things. And, um, 
so I really enjoyed that. But um, now I'm reading this book called This Is All I Got, which is a, a nonfiction about a single mother, single 22 year old mother um, in New York City in 2015, like trying to find a home because she's been in the award of the state and in the shelter system for, you know, for as long as, as she's, you know, been around. So uh, it's, it's harrowing, you know, like it's, it's um, that's, she's just one of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands in New York city who are going through the same thing with infants. God. And um, anyway, so I, uh, that's probably like my, my main cause that I try to right. support is, is homelessness and homeless women in particular. What was that great uh, organization? Sarah's in Circle. Chicago? Right. Yeah, Sarah's, Sarah's Circle. Circle. Hey, everyone. We keep trying to give you our books. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to give you some books. Yeah. If you donate to Sarah's Circle, which um, some of you did when I called to action. Is that what people say? When I asked you to sure. in December and I, and I sent out books then. I've got some more books with your names on them if you want to donate to Sarah's Circle in Chicago, um, which is a place that finds safe housing for women, um, either homeless women or people come, women coming from uh, violent situations in their home. Yeah. And it's wonderful. And um, I look forward to physically volunteering there as soon as they open that back up. Awesome. They've closed it during COVID. Anyway, writing. Writing. Reading. Did you get any work done? I was such a badass this past week with my oh, work. Wow. Yes. Nice. I was writing whenever I had a free moment. Nice. Um, well, that's a lie because I did spend one of my nap times cleaning my house, <laughs> um, which I think is a classic thing that all writers do when they're, you know, like avoiding writing, but I wasn't avoiding writing. It was more that like, I desperately needed to vacuum <laughs> and like wipe things down right. and listen to you're wrong about uh, podcast in my, in my earbuds, earbuds, <laughs> earbuds, little golden retrievers in yours. <laughs> they should be called earbuds. Oh, it's an improvement. Is that a spoonerism that I just did? Yeah, sure. <laughs> but anyway, yes, I, I'm, um, I have been having a hard time, like really, like I mentioned this before that like so much, since I can't hit the work every day because of just, you know, COVID and my, my children and, and, you know, life that it's hard, it's, it's harder to get back into it you know, on the, on the days that I do get to write, but I have, like, I've found my, I've refound my groove um, nice. and I'm like fully reconnected to it and like feel, feel more uh, ownership. Um, Is it still know, new can, pages or are you going back? Pages. Like you said, wow. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I keep thinking I'm going to stop and go back, but then, then the writing just keeps coming and it keeps coming. Like I'll, I'll think like, all right, I'm going to wrap this up. And then it just keeps going and going and going. Um, and I know that like some of that is going to be cut because I'm like getting myself to the point that it needed to get to, but um, I forgot what I was going to say. Anyway, it's feeling good. It's good. feeling like, Oh, I was going to say like, there's that gross feeling that all novelists feel where, like it feels good and then you kind of feel weird about it and then you get back into it. It feels good. And then you kind of feel like, like, um, like it's not even yours. I don't know if that happens right. to everyone, but it's just like, what is this? You know, right. like, is this me? I guess it kind of goes back to what Matthew was talking about, like 
who is me? <laughs> what is the <laughs> Who is me? <laughs> he says it so much more eloquently. <laughs> I fuck it. <laughs> who is me? <laughs> oh man. Well, we know the title of the book. <laughs> I'm gonna start coughing. <laughs> you know, who is me? I mean, oh. At the end of the day, I who love is it. me? <laughs> Okay. Anyway, I'm I'm feeling better about it. Is all I'm gonna say. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I have 101 pages now. Single spaced. Single spaced. Yeah. Oh my lord. Yeah. That's like 7,000 pages. Double spaced. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 101. Okay. Listen, it's actually 100 pages and then like three sentences. So. <laughs> I love that you had to own up to that. Like, <laughs> this is my truth, Jesus. Uh, well, you guys might know. I don't know. No, we definitely don't know. Oh, anyway, you were going to read a poem. Yeah, I, uh, I'm going to read a poem. Um, a friend of mine made me aware of this, was mentioning poems that uh, he really loved, but that were maybe lesser known. And he sent he sent this one and I was like, oh my Lord, this is beautiful. So I'm going to read this poem by a guy named John Newlove and the poem is called uh, Driving. You never say anything in your letters. You say, I drove all night long through the snow in someone else's car and the heater wouldn't work and I nearly froze. But I know that I live in this country too. I know how beautiful it is at night with the white snow banked in the moonlight around black trees and tangled bushes. How lonely and lovely that driving is, how deadly you become the country. You're by yourself in that channel of snow and pines and pines, whether the pines and snow flow backwards and smoothly, whether you drive or you stop or you walk or you sit, this land waits, it watches. How beautifully desolate our country is out of the snug cities and how it fits a human. You say you drove. It doesn't matter to me. All I can see is the silent, cold car gliding, walled in, your face smooth, your mind empty, cold foot on the pedal, cold hands on the wheel. Mm. Okay. Now that feels like a story that you wrote. Isn't that like that Alex beautiful? Higley wrote? I'm oh. talking about Alex Higley. Like that's oh. a story Alex Higley wrote. I don't know. I wish that is beautiful. It is really beautiful. And also I love, I, I, I love reading um, wintry things in the winter, you know, I like, agree. Oh it's my goodness, just like, yes. pull it up around me like a blanket. I want to write a winter novel at some point. That would be a dream, a total yes. dream. Oh my goodness. It's in you. Hope so. <clears throat> Do you have anything you want to read? Yeah, I'll read. Oh, I almost spilled my tea. I'll read a little bit of what I've been doing. Um, awesome. This is this is part of um, this this longer portion where Cece, who's the daughter of the murdered woman, is a grown up, and she's kind of realizing that that she could get in touch with um, with Jason, who's the son of the woman who had her mother murdered, and they were in love when they were you know teenagers. Um, anyway, so. So she's like reached out to him and they're kind of messaging back and forth. And then she, she's also kind of a mess. So she's at her company happy hour and, um, 
and and gets into some you know some stuff so cool i'll just start there Serena, her coworker's name was newish and eager the way Cece used to be. She'll learn, they all said to each other, jaded laughs covering up the rage, but in a shoddy way, the way you might cover a corpse with an Afghan. Cece had gotten stuck in the corner somehow, a rookie mistake because she'd have to ask six people to shove over if she needed to pee or to escape, and Serena was one of them, so close that Cece was sitting on half her purse and Serena's elbow kept digging into her ribs. It didn't take long for Serena to be drunk, too drunk, her v-neck splotched with the Midori sour she kept missing her mouth with, the V so stretched out, so painfully overworn that Cece could see that she wasn't wearing a bra and didn't even need to. Poor Serena. She had no idea. Cece crossed and then double-crossed her legs, squeezing the urine back into her body, or, or, show, or so she told herself. I've been messaging my high school boyfriend, she said, mainly to Serena, her strategy being that if she turned the attention onto herself, maybe Serena would quit it with the drinks, and maybe she could get some water into her so she'd have to pee as well, and they could both ask everyone to shove over, and then Cece could go out into the cold and walk the mile back to her apartment, freezing herself into sober enough. What? Serena said. She looked at Cece, and just for a second, Cece saw that she wasn't actually drunk, or she wasn't as drunk as she was pretending. There was a shrewdness, a fear, that Cece recognized as a young woman's determination to hang in, to prove herself in these rituals that seemed male-dominated or just male in general. Drink, drink more, now drink some more, now be a fool but don't embarrass yourself, and do it without seeming ugly. The waitress brought more drinks, and Cece saw that she looked exactly like Jackie, the low ponytail and the eye rolling and the pretty tired face, and then Cece wondered if she truly remembered what Jackie looked like. Did she, didn't she? did she have curly hair, bigger boobs? Didn't she have her fingernails manicured toward the end there, or were her fingers short and stubby like the waitress's? What did you say? Serena said, and it was clear she made an effort to slur. Cece felt impatient that Serena didn't know anything about her, that there wasn't a shorthand between them, because she wanted to desperately, she wanted desperately to say, that looks like Jackie, and for Serena to have a certain look on her face when she said it. But that was why she messaged Jason in the first place, wasn't it? Because he knew everything. She looked down at her phone and there was nothing. She could get up and climb onto the table and stomp over everyone's drinks and be out of there in a heartbeat and two shakes like her mom used to say. And she could at the very least call her father. She could say what happened and she could say I miss her so fucking much and she could let it land like a brick to his head because she had never allowed herself to hurt him like that, not ever. Because if she did, he'd know there was no turning back. <clears throat> and even though that was true, Cece needed to know that there was someone out there that hadn't given up on her. What? Serena said, her face shaped into something conspiratorial, something in on it, and Cece felt for her. Felt for Rosalind stuck humoring Will in his endless chatter about politics. Felt for Shari and the way she had to baby everyone because she was in HR and she couldn't seem too threatening. Felt for Mickey and Sarah and Britt and Fabiola and Amika because all of them said sorry before they began speaking, and Cece said it too. All of them falling over themselves to have a say without saying it too loudly, too bluntly, too readily. Or maybe Cece was just thinking of her conversations with Jason. All of them, the polite and sassy and funny messages, all of them poor masks for what she actually meant. I need you. She opened her Facebook app and wrote it and sent it. And then she drank Serena's drink <clears throat> and asked for another and another and another. And by last call, it was the, it was the drunkest of them left. And Cece played one round of spin the bottle in which the bottle landed on Serena and their teeth clashed together and their tongue slipped around and Micah and Zach cheered them on and high-fived. She did walk home, the cold burning her cheeks and the toes of her boots wet through. She'd never thought too long about how Jackie was somewhere out there. What was the point? Where did it leave her? The ice and snow was loud under her footsteps, so loud that it sounded like violence. Her lips felt chapped and bruised. Idly, she thought about killing Jackie, driving to where she was, murdering her. 
How? That felt like too much to consider and she was so very tired. It was fine. All of it was fine. No harm actually done. None of them would remember it come Monday. I'll stop there. <clears throat> man, oh man. It just goes on. I mean, she's, there's more. Anyway. I loved a uh, young woman's determination to hang in. That's right. I really got her. I really could see her when you said that. Poor Serena. Oh, God. <clears throat> Anywho, I'm going to keep going. You're going to keep, keep reading. Going. Sure, I'm going to keep reading. And then we'll talk to everyone next time. <laughs> talk to everyone next time. <laughs> who Just is me? Try to figure out who is you. Yes, and who and is me. And read Matthew's book because it says yes. all of what we're trying to say. And Much better. Yeah. Bye. Bye. I'm a Writer But is recorded by Alex Higley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Because there's a pandemic out there, please wear a mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop.